0: It's just gone 12 o'clock on this 21st day of February. Hello and welcome to MoneyWeb at Midday. My name is Duduzi Leramela in for Jeremy Maggs this afternoon. MoneyWeb at Midday, your 30-minute information pack on the latest news headlines. Coming up, the situation in the Suez Canal is causing untold misery. Cape Tonians can attest to that as a ship carrying livestock rerouted to South Africa, causing quite the stink. We'll tell you all about that in a few moments. Some 46,000 more South Africans have joined the unemployment line. Quarterly labor force data released yesterday painted yet another grim picture. Leon Lowe helps us take, make sense rather of the numbers that we have seen. And happy Budget Day, should we say. We preview expectations and focus on the concept of a child-driven budget approach. And we speak all things influences. You must have seen them more so today. Standards and regulation will speak more. More on that in a few moments.
1: You're listening to MoneyWeb at Midday.
0: So the Al Kuwait vessel has caused quite the stir. The ship transporting some 19,000 cattle made an almost 8,000-kilometer journey to the southernmost tip of the African continent en route from Brazil, destined for Iraq. It made a stenchy stop in the mother city. The pungent smell from the vessel drew the attention of residents and authorities alike. And upon inspection, the horror that lay in the vessel has been described as nothing short of a nightmare. Jacques Jacques Peacock, I beg your pardon, is Public Relations and Legal Liaison at SPCA and he joins us now to tell us more about this, Jacques. Thank you so much for your time this afternoon. What's going on?
2: Good afternoon and thank you so much for having us. The NSPCA confirms the departure of the Al Kuwait, uh, the livestock carrier that recently docked in Cape Town Harbour. It set sail for Iraq during the early hours of this morning. The NSPCA uh, inspected the vessel since its arrival in Cape Town on Sunday, the 18th of Feb, uh, 10 o'clock that evening, and uh, conducted an inspection on the welfare of the animals report.
0: And what did you find when it came to the welfare of the animals? And some of the pictures
2: that we have seen are quite grim. Indeed, the scenes on the vessel were apparent with an extreme buildup of faeces and urine and animals having no option but to rest in dams of their own excrement. Uh, like with any uh, export of live animal shipment and an animal population of such magnitude, um, you would expect animal welfare issues and indeed compromised animals were discovered, including diseased and injured animals. Uh, the NSBCA had to euthanize cows aboard the ship, and others were found dead. And our veterinary consultant also ensured veterinary treatment of other animals. Any immediate risk to humans? Well, of course, our, as the NSPCA, our um, mandate relates to the welfare of animals. Uh, obviously, the stench caught the attention of many people. And um, yeah, if you can imagine, if the stench was like that in the city centre, you could mm-hmm. only imagine what it was like aboard the ship for the animals who have been at sea from Brazil and will continue their journey.
0: What do we know about what the animals will be used for?
2: Well, live export is an extremely archaic uh, practice, um, supposedly for the live slaughter of animals at the destination for religious purposes. And while the NSPCA, especially in our country, acknowledges that there is a diverse cultural, religious, um, and ethnic field, uh, you can do anything humanely. Um, And this incident just serves as a stark reminder that the live export of animals by sea is a gruesome practice that inflicts unnecessary suffering on animals.
0: What options are available to organisations such as yourselves? I mean, obviously what is happening in the Suez Canal has resulted in ships rerouting and coming all the way down to the southernmost tip of the continent. But when it comes more so to livestock, how can you help,
2: if at all? Well, the, NS, the NSBC has been at the forefront uh, against the uh, fight for a total ban especially over the equator of uh, export of live animals by sea and we've been actively litigating this matter since 2019 um in this particular incident we are um grateful that the government has recognized now more than ever the necessity for regulations rather Mm. than mere guidelines regarding the export of animals. And while a complete ban on live animal exports via sea remains the ultimate goal, um, we urge the government to refrain from authorising another shipment from South Africa until these regulations are firmly established as a matter of utmost urgency.
0: I think that's the next question, because it would appear this particular consignment caught us unawares. Are we aware of... What other consignment is making its way here um, because of the disturbances at sea, but on the Red Sea? But what else do we know about possible shipments that we might land up with?
2: So, animals are exported uh, by sea almost on a daily basis across the world. Um, the NSPCA caught wind of the shipment coming in during uh, last week. And we were therefore in a position to wait the ship in and board the ship upon the arrival on Sunday at 10 o'clock in the evening to inspect the welfare of the animals. It is not illegal to export animals by sea. And therefore, uh, we will enforce our mandate to ensure the welfare of the animals on board should there be any further shipment.
0: All right. Thank you very much for availing yourself for us this afternoon. Jacques Peacock is Public Relations and Legal Liaison at the SPCA.
1: MoneyWeb at Midday for all your up-to-date stories.
0: Happy Budget Day? Is that what we say today? Let's take a look at this more so. Quarterly labor force survey data released by Stats SA yesterday showed an increase in the unemployment rate from 31.9% in the third quarter to 32.1% in the fourth quarter. 46,000 more people have joined the unemployment band, bringing the total number to 7.9 people who are without jobs in the Republic. The job losses were driven by the formal sector, which shared some 128 thousand jobs. The unemployment data released yesterday. Trends above pre-pandemic levels. Just how sustainable is this in a country where crime is already unimaginable? Leon Lowe is with the Freedom Foundation and Izuel Research Institute and he joins us now to take a look at this, including previewing uh, the budget speech that will be delivered by the finance minister hopefully later on. Uh, Mr. Lowe, thank you very much for your time this afternoon. The data is trending above pre-pandemic Levels. What is your understanding of South Africa's unemployment crisis?
3: Uh, hello to you and the listeners, and thanks for having me. And yes, my understanding is that it's very bad news for us that we have not turned a corner. Uh, the, there has been a constant decrease in unemployment, increase in jobs since the pandemic impact, which was catastrophic, uh, and it has now reversed for the first time in this quarter, which is disturbing. What the country needs, of course, as a matter of simple humanity for destitute people, is high economic growth rates, rapid job creation, and things to improve. I want to say that what people often don't get in these globular numbers, 31% or whatever, or 40% if you add the disaffected workers, is who exactly are these unemployed people? Mm -hmm. And that is very disturbing. It is mostly uh, almost all black people. The white unemployment level is much the same as it was since the 1980s. And most disturbingly young people and most disturbingly young black women. Young black women have an unemployment rate that i haven't been able to get exactly but it's probably in the vicinity of 65 or 70 percent in other words every 10 black women young black women you know uh, something like seven or eight of them are unemployed yeah. and that is d- 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 terrible news uh, the good news is that the informal sector the so-called informal sector unrecorded sector uh, has shown some sort of increase in other words People are moving from the formal market, which is excessively regulated and stifling, into the shadow or underground economy, uh, where they pay bribes to police to be allowed to carry on, but nonetheless, that is where people are surviving.
0: When we take a look at the numbers, Mr. Lowe, from a population of more than 62 million people, employed people sitting at 16.7 million, unemployed 7.9 million, discouraged work seekers 3 million, not economically active 13.4 million, unemployed youth 4.7 million. And so what is the consequence of this in a country where we have seen just a few days ago where bandits were targeting people on the highway where there was traffic, just a brazen display of lawlessness as well. What is the intended, unintended consequence?
3: Yes, this is what you should expect when you have the world's highest enduring unemployment rate. It is absolutely shameful and disgraceful. And in the budget, we are going to be told how proud the government is of the social grants Mm. instead of how ashamed we are of the need for social grants. It's one thing to pay them, but it's another thing to have so many people who need them. Uh, And so what is happening is people just have to resort to crime. And you know this term, the informal sector, which is in fact where uh, all of the people are, those that you have listed, those numbers that you've listed, and thanks for doing that. uh, You must understand that this is the the unlawful sector, the banned sector, Mm. the prohibited sector. And uh, it is time for uh, the government to do what it promises in every budget. I'm sure we're going to see it in this one, that they will lift red tape and restrictions. And whilst he speaks right before him in Parliament are lots of laws that increase red tape and restrictions. So the the consequences of these policies, which are anti-growth, anti-prosperity, more importantly, anti-poor and destitute people, particularly young black women, It is just disgraceful and inhumane. One single change is all that is required to make a big difference, and that is for the government to pass a right-to-work law. Say that anyone is free to take whatever job they wish. They do not need to fall under the labor law, or the minimum wage law. Uh, The minimum wage law does not make a difference between a high and a low wage. It makes a difference between a low and no wage. It condemns mm-hmm. people to zero. And that is probably the most, I'm sorry to use such strong language on your program, but disgusting uh, that that people want that, that people want to uh, have these uh, young black women. And, we, you know, what do you think young black women do when seven out of 10 mm-hmm. are unemployed? Yeah. What do they do? Well, they, they go into the shadow economy uh, they resort to crime, they resort mostly i 'm pleased to say, very pleased to say to legitimate trading, informal trading mm-hmm. they do they find things to do which are peaceful, legitimate and and provide services and This is wonderful in the unrecorded uh, sectors, if you go into shanty towns, which is where I spend much of my time working, it is inspirational to see how people find a way of coping with what is in, in, what is imposed on them by bad policies. We've had bad policies year after year after year, and this budget has an opportunity to do a U-turn, to say we are now going back to good policies, which is to remove controls, lower tax rates, liberate the people to employ themselves, to employ others, to, to find jobs, we need sort of national economic Liberation from government's stifling controls and taxes.
0: How do we understand that, Mr. Lowe, more so with the rhetoric that, well, the private sector is coming on board. You need only think maybe of state-owned enterprises. ESCOM, for instance, the electricity minister time and again will talk about how the private sector or investors are falling over themselves in order to invest in ESCOM, right? So we hear about creating a conducive environment for investment. We also hear in the same breath that business is withholding holding its support or its investment, yet we are seeing that there's a number of people whose lives are not changing. We're not short of policies in this country. Are we brave enough to implement them?
3: Well, I mean, this is a whole discussion on its own, but Nathan, it's very important if I can do very briefly. Uh, the National Energy Regulation Regulator, NERSA, and the Electricity Act actually make it prohibited, forbidden, for people to, uh, for example, supply electricity to their neighbor from their generator or their solar mm. panels. So what we need to do is they talk about the private sector not coming to the party. That's because it's banned. It's for, it's forbidden. You may not build a, a power line or a grid. You may not build a power station. It is banned. So we have these solar stations, but they are purely, uh, frankly, silly contracts forced upon Eskom by the Department of energy affairs, and Eskimo should be free. Eskimo should be liberated. It should be free to structure itself, to charge whatever it likes, to operate however it likes, and in order to prevent it abusing us, the market should be liberated. Everybody should be free to trade electricity, sell electricity, generate electricity. We, it's time we joined the advanced world. This apartheid dinosaur, of a monopoly government uh, producer and provider of electricity, as long with all of the other state-owned enterprises, all 700 of them, the most celebrated one is SAA. These are apartheid relics that we keep going. It's ridiculous. End them, terminate them, shut them down where the private sector is willing and able to do things like electricity, like airlines, like everything else, transport, for example, take the railways. Why not just allow anybody to run a train on the tracks the way we do with the roads? The railways can be like roads where the government owns the infrastructure, but everyone is free to use them Mm. for private purposes. And so it's not difficult. All you have to do is look around the world. Where is their prosperity? Where are people getting rich and what do they do? And we must copy them.
0: Mr. Lowe, thank you very much for your time this afternoon. Leon Lowe is with Freedom Foundation and Izwe Lamy Research Institutes.
1: MoneyWeb at midday for all your up to date
0: stories. Dive deeper into the South African Budget 2024 with MoneyWeb's exclusive webinar. Join industry titans including Deputy Minister of Finance David Masondo, MoneyWeb Editor Van Niekerk, Annabelle Bishop, Investec's Chief Economist and Keith Engel, CEO of the South African Institute of Tax, as they decode Finance Minister Inu plans. Don't miss out on this critical discussion. Tune in on Thursday, the 22nd of February from 11.15am to 12pm. Register now at moneyweb.co.za.
1: You're listening to MoneyWeb at Midday.
0: I think it's safe to say happy Budget Day. Finance Minister Inoko will today deliver his budget a tough job. In an election year, an economy hammered, and of course, the latest unemployment figures which have painted a less than perfect picture of what we're going through. As expectations swirl, Western Cape Commissioner for Children Christina Nomdo is looking forward to a child centered budget. She joins us now to expand on their call. Thank you very much, ma'am, for your time. In 2023, you presented recommendations to Treasury on a child centered budget. What is it and why is it important?
4: Yes, thank you. I think what we must remember is that all budget decisions affect children, but some budget decisions affect their immediate lived realities. So, for example, social spending and the amount that's going to education, health, social development really affects the quality of their day-to-day life. We're also saying that a child-centered budget is a futures-oriented budget, because if you are investing in the children of society, you have a futuristic approach to how you want to build that society. We're also worried about the debt burden that children will inherit because of the decisions that's made Mm. in budgeting today. So many aspects of our budget analysis uh, focuses around this concept of child-centred budgeting.
0: How were your recommendations received? What were some of them, if you can highlight them for us?
4: Well, we we made recommendations to the medium-term budget policy statement. And this is where the government already signals what it's going to do in the budget. So that happens around October of each year. And so we were quite concerned when we heard some of the Thinking that had gone into the budgets, we understand that there is a shortfall, um, you know, in revenue, and so we are worried that there will be a deprioritization of social sector spending, and an intergenerational burden of government debt because we have to pay our interest payments on debt first. That's one of the priorities uh, of budgeting. We're worried that there'll be an increase in the VAT because that's how you're going to make up the revenue. You're going to look at your tax base. And we're saying that uh, increase in VAT affects poorest families the most. Uh, In VAT, even children are taxpayers. We are worried that the... um, you know, the provincial departments of social development budget allocations will not increase with inflation. This means that in real terms, we get less than, less services than what we got in the previous years. Um, And we are worried, especially because in that department of social development, they almost pass on their constitutional mandate to NGOs. So this will put a real you know, it will squeeze the finances that needs to go to NGOs. Okay.
0: Ma'am, you spoke of the future consequence, um, more so when it comes to the debt burden that children of today will have to contend with tomorrow. What is the consequence of not investing in the children today? What is it that you are seeing from the work that you do?
4: Well, uh, the character of childhoods uh, that we see is quite deplorable, you know, violence that children have to uh, contend with in every sphere of their life, in communities, still in schools, even though corporal punishment has been abolished, and uh, in their homes, you know, the gender-based violence that they see. We see that um, some of the health indicators, like mental health of young people, they are signaling a crisis in mental health to us. And so we, we really want to see those indicators in childhood improve so that we have a more well, healthy, equipped, qualified generation that we are sending to build our society into the future.
0: Thank you very much, ma'am, for your contribution this afternoon. Western Cape Commissioner for Children, Christina Nomdo.
1: Maniweb at Midday, for all your up-to-date stories.
0: It's 21 after 12 o'clock. Let's take a look at the world of influencers. Now, influencer marketing is here to stay, rather that is safe to say. So why not create guidelines for best practice like most industries? Well, that is where the Interactive Advertising Bureau comes in. AIB has published a white paper called Best Practices for Influencer Marketing in the Country. What does this all mean? Well, we speak to the IAB's Dadilo Aquisto. He's a Senior Digital Influencer Marketing Committee member. Thank you very much for your time this afternoon. It may be obvious to many But for those of us who are not quite clear, what is an influencer?
5: Dorazile, it's so nice to chat to you, and thanks for the time this afternoon. No problem. (laughs) Yeah, the influencer marketing industry is such an interesting one. Defining an influencer seems to be one of the categories that uh, was most of demand of our business. What exactly is an influencer? Is putting a celebrity on a billboard considered an influence campaign, or is that considered some other kind of endorsement? And so our job was to try and initially start defining these. So an influencer Mm. is somebody who uses their own platform and their own media to distribute messaging in their own tone of voice, not necessarily some other kind of category. So we've basically defined at least four different categories in the influencer space, a celebrity, a social media influencer, an expert, or a customer. Each of those has their own various different definitions of what they stand for, but a social media influencer is an individual content producer or group of producers who's gathered a social media following because of their personality, lifestyle, or content style writing and or opinions in their own social media platform with their own voice.
0: Mm -hmm. I guess this white paper is quite timely. You take a look at what is making headlines more so today, that case in Utah of um, a mother who has been sentenced to some 15 years because of abusing her children. She was a social media influencer with her children. She had a YouTube channel and we saw them um, on this YouTube channel. But just outline for us some of the guidelines that you propose.
5: Yeah, so it is always going to be something that the industry will need to factor in is the risks associated with any kind of media and advertising. And when you're associating with an individual person, brands and companies need to consider the fact that these individual persons have various different changing personalities and their uh, public interest may improve or decline over time and it's important to be able to mitigate those risks. So this white paper that we have released to the IAB members includes a a number of categories within it. It it, uh, proceeds a document that was our definitions document um, which was really just trying to, like, like you mentioned now, defining what influencer marketing is. But we cover everything from metrics in influencer marketing, how to how important are and how to measure certain metrics for your own success as well as we tackle the very hard questions when should I consider incorporating influencer marketing how do I mitigate risks how do I amplify what to consider when determining the legal ramifications do Mm. I have to pay influencers what risks are there and how can I mitigate them what are the main operational risks of influencer marketing all of these are addressed in the white paper
0: Absolutely. What of the concept of ethical influencing? I saw something recently where someone proposed to their partner at um, a local food outlet, and uh, someone tried to shame them. But then brands came out to sponsor the wedding. One said, "We'll sponsor the car." One said, "We'll do your hair." One said, and so they turned it around, right, on this person who tried to shame this couple because they proposed at a particular food joint.
5: You know, it's such a fascinating and beautiful part of what makes influencer marketing so special. And I think South Africa is sitting in a poised position to be able to take on the world in this way uh, because of the fact that brands are really struggling to speak to diverse communities with single messaging. And so the power of influencer marketing is being able to partner with people who have got a trusting relationship with their audiences already in various different sectors with different body shapes and interests and needs and wants and being able to deliver messages to those audiences through this particular influential person. And I think given our diversity in this country, I think it's one of the biggest marketing challenges to marketers is how do I speak personally to these many diverse groups of interests Mm -hmm. and and people with a personalized message? And influence marketing really is the solution to that. So I I love the idea of of sort of, um, you know, uh, this virtue signaling in some way and people trying to use opportunities to do good by seeing what is trending on the internet, how to jump on those trends. Um, And influencers make a really great, great vehicle for that because it's great content creation turned around the a fast time and you know spoken to an authentic voice which i think is really beautiful
0: dadilo acquisto thank you very much for your grace and for your time this afternoon he's with the iab he's a senior digital influencer marketing committee member
1: you're listening to Moneyweb web at midday
0: the education system in South Africa should not just be fostering a culture of consumption, but a culture of creation. More so when we talk about artificial intelligence, AI this, AI that. But are we getting our children ready for the world of work and to actually create uh, and participate in the space of AI? Well, Dr. Alex Asakitipi is a senior researcher at the Independent Institute of Education's Varsity College, and she joins us now to hopefully hopefully get some answers, Doc. Uh, That's not AI, that's just me (laughs) and my bloops. Uh, Thank you very much for your time this afternoon. When we talk about artificial intelligence and creating uh, a future generation that is ready for the world of work and to participate in this space, from the work that you do. Are we keeping up?
6: Um, Good afternoon and thank you for having me. Um, It's still very early uh, to call. Uh, I think uh, in South Africa, some steps have been taken already, both in the corporate world as well as in in industries. Um, In education, it's still relatively Uh, Slow And of course, it's understandable. Traditionally, the educational sector is usually the last to embrace technology. And that is why we we are calling for um, education departments, the government and education providers to begin to consider very seriously uh, incorporating artificial intelligence in education broadly. Mm.
0: How are we faring in comparison to some other countries on the continent?
6: On the earth, African country, I think um, South Africa is way ahead. Um, perhaps um, second only to um, Kenya, to, to, mm-hmm. to a very large extent. Kenya has done very well in mm-hmm. terms of uh, technology. Um, Rwanda is doing fairly well, too. Um, Nigeria is doing well, but not so well. At bedeviled with so many challenges. Uh, Government policies, instability, and so on. So, I think uh, South Africa is holding its own, at least as far as the African continent is concerned. But the idea is that we must go beyond just comparing South Africa with other African countries, but look at this globally and see how best we can position ourselves.
0: Absolutely. I think the idea, also, Doc, is not to compare, but to other, but to um, the rather um, synergize, right? That we move at a not even similar pace, but we are moving as a continent because, Doc, what is the intended, unintended consequence when we are still talking about, um, what, the fourth industrial revolution? Some would argue that we're not even there yet, right? You go internationally. You don't need someone at the till to pack your groceries. You just come in, yeah. swipe, pick your
6: things, and you leave. That's right. Yes, indeed. Um, and that is why I think that's, At this 21st century and the great advancement in artificial intelligence, I think it becomes an important tool for us to leapfrog our technological advancement. We don't have to go through all those stages. Yes, we may not have arrived at the fourth industrial revolution, but with this artificial intelligence becoming increasingly promising in every aspect of societal life, I think we should be well positioned. We shouldn't just be um, uh, we shouldn't just embrace and then we utilise the artificial intelligence. We should be at the forefront of it, just mm-hmm. like any other nation on earth. And I'm um, uh, quite happy to hear that the, the president of the country has uh, earmarked yeah, one billion rand um, for research into nanotechnology, including artificial intelligence. I think that is the right way to go. Um, But we must also begin to mobilize uh, private institutions, um, funders, and uh, other types of researchers to be on board so that we harness the great promise that uh, artificial intelligence holds.
0: For everyone. Sure, Doc, apparently the most used social media platform in the country is WhatsApp um, and then you've got other competing um, social media apps. TikTok, for instance, when you take a look at it, apparently in China, the content that is driven there is much more different than the content that is driven here um, in some parts of the African continent and so when you see that the developers of this particular app also tailor make their messages, what does that tell us about more so this content? Concept of soft power, right? So what does it unlock when we get that right, where we are creators and we are also able to influence the world and change the narrative about this here continent?
6: Now, you just hit the nail right on the head. I think that is the, that is our concern. We cannot just be consumers. We should also begin to define our own narratives. We have to weave our own stories so that we know what we are churning out and what our citizens are consuming. We cannot just be at the receiving end. I think we have great minds on the African continent and in South Africa specifically. Our universities are doing extremely well in research and it's just for us to reposition our mind and believe that uh, we can do what others are doing. Once we have a policy uh, mindset that gives direction I think everything will fall into place. Mm. But as it is, we tend to be too relaxed, and looking for development to come from the global north and then for us to consume. Mm. Uh, that's, that orientation needs to, needs to change significantly so that we can begin to make our mark. Not for anybody, but for ourselves as, as a country. Absolutely.
0: Thank you very much, yeah. sir, for your time this afternoon. Senior Researcher at the Independent Institute of Education's Varsity College, Dr. Alex Asakitipi.
1: Moneyweb at Midday, for all your up-to-date stories.
0: Before we go, on yesterday's show, we asked you whether you think a wealth tax will help fix South Africa's challenges. Over 80% of those who voted do not believe that it will. And today, on the back of our conversation with Leon Lowe on unemployment, we're asking you whether job creation as an election tool influences who you vote for. And you can vote on MoneyWeb's X and LinkedIn pages. Results will be out on the show tomorrow. Ramela. Thank you very much for tuning in.